Hello, uh, let me add my welcome. I'm Matt Round. I'm the assistant pastor here, and it's my great privilege this morning to uh, get to speak to you from God's Word. And I want to start with a pretty controversial statement. I want to tell you something that not everyone agrees on. I want to tell you that work is good. Now, the work is actually a good thing. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that's not very controversial, actually. But the way we talk and the way we act says that it is. I mean, how many of you who are still at school or at university are thinking, wow, I just can't wait until I get out there into the real world and I can spend the whole rest of my life doing work? Okay, perhaps some of you are thinking that, but the rest of us know that's just because you are naive optimists and one day, one day you'll know better. What about the rest of us who, some of us who do work, okay, so tell me a bit of live word association here, okay? I'm going to say a word and I want you to give me the first word that comes into your heads, okay? Let's do this for real, okay? It's not a trick. Um, work. Hard. And hard, come on, we can do better than hard. Work. Boring. Boring. Thank you, that's exciting. <sighs> Work sucks, right? Work sucks. That's why they have to pay you to work. Right? They wouldn't have to pay you if it was great fun and everyone was like, yes, let's go to work. Um, they pay you because it sucks. That's, that's what we feel like. Uh, that's how we act. Um, that's what our national culture says. So in a recent survey on how much fun people are having working, half of the UK's workers say, say they, they are happy in their job. You know what that means? That means half, half of the workers in the UK are not happy in their job. More than that, one in five workers finds each Sunday significantly depressing, and that's not because they're going to church. One in, one in five workers finds each Sunday significantly depressing on account of what Monday is bringing their way. One in five people find work so depressing, it affects them. Most of us who work, let's be honest, we're, we're looking forward to stopping, right? I mean, how many of you workers today are looking forward to retirement? Now, let's turn that around. How many of you workers today are not looking forward to retirement? If you, if you could retire five more years early, who's not up for that? Isn't that a great idea? But like I said at the start, work is actually a good thing. Even the government knows this, surprisingly. Let me read you some quotes from a recent government report on work and joblessness. It says this, it says, work meets important psychosocial needs. That's a big word, isn't it? Psychosocial needs. But they're needs, okay? They're needs. It's not worrying too much about what they are. Uh, work is central to individual identity. There is strong evidence that unemployment is generally harmful to health, and there is a strong evidence base showing that work is generally good. Good for physical health, good for mental health, good for general well-being. The government says work is good. But you know, this is actually the, this is the Christian view of work as well. Work is a good thing. Why do we say that? Well, it is the key way that we're to provide for ourselves as we're able. The Apostle Paul writes, the, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. I guess that's why most of us work today, like it or not, because we quite like to eat. Um, but also, uh, as a Christian, we work to have something to share with those who are in need. So work is good because it provides for us and, and it provides for others. That's one thing. But the Christian view of work is a little bit bigger than that. If you were to open your Bibles right to the very beginning, to the first pages of Genesis, what would you see? You would see God himself working. 
working in this, this creation of the world. That's the way what he's doing is described. It says at the end, it says he rested from all his work. He was working in creation. And do you know what work brings God? It brings him satisfaction. He finishes his work and he says, good. He says, very good. It's as if he sits back from his work, folds his arm and says, yes, that was worth it. Work was always part of the design of humankind. It's not some unfortunate accident that's come late to the party just to upset us. The Bible says we're made in God's image, so it shouldn't surprise us. Like our God works, we too are made to work, and it's good. There should be no surprise that our work can bring us satisfaction too. Like God's work brings him satisfaction. But why? Why all this talk about work? What's going on here? Um... Well, we're carrying on our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. That is one of the tellings of the life of Jesus in the Bible. And uh, we come today, um, Jesus has been talking a lot about the, the, the kingdom of God in the run-up to where we are today. And we come to a, a story, a parable for us. And this parable has a lot of work in it. A lot of work and a lot of wages and whatnot. What is Jesus getting at with this parable? That's what we're going to try and unravel. So let's read together. Uh, we're going to start at chapter 20 in the book of Matthew. So if you've got one of these church Bibles, that's page 987, Matthew chapter 20. The chapters uh, in the Bible are the really big numbers, and the verses are the little ones there. So page 987. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go, go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foremen, Call the workers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day? But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Here's our parable. Jesus tells it about the kingdom of heaven. He says when he's introducing it, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like... So it's not really much of a mystery about what it's about. How do we understand it? The big picture seems to be pretty straightforward. The landowner is God. Are the workers? Well, that's us. God comes and calls us at different times, but at the end of the day, God gives salvation equally to all those he called. Ah, when there are raised eyebrows, since some of us seem to be very undeserving, where others of us have worked longer and harder, God responds by highlighting his free exercise of generosity. That seems to be the broad sweep of the story. Uh, the reward of God's kingdom is a generous gift. It's given equally to all those responding to his call. What about this emphasis on equality there? Remember, they complain, you've made the ones who started last equal with us. How does, how does that tie up with Jesus' closing words? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Well, I think it works perfectly, actually. Rather than reversing the order, rather than going from top to bottom to bottom to top, what he's doing is eliminating the order. Everyone receives the same wage. First is number one. Last is number one. That's one giant tie, and everyone's a winner. This is all pretty straightforward, right? So, early talk, uh, short talk today, early lunch, right? Good news. Uh, alas, no. Not planning to keep you forever. Um, don't panic. But I don't think that's the whole punch that this parable packs. I think we need to look at it a little bit closer if we want to feel the, the full force of what Jesus is saying to us here. So first I want us to think a little bit more about these workers in the parable in the first place. Now, who are they and what was their situation like? See, these, um, these day laborers, the landowner comes down into the marketplace to hire. They're, they're, not, they're not in a good and secure place. Effectively, what they're like today is they're like people on zero-hour contracts, okay? If they don't get hired, if nobody comes to the marketplace for them, well, then they don't get paid. Actually, they're in a worse place than people on zero-hour contracts today because they're on zero hours without any sort of social safety net. Now, you might not think much of our social security system, but it isn't actually going to let you starve to death if you don't get paid. But for these guys in the marketplace, there's no equivalent. If they don't work, they don't earn. And if they don't earn, they don't eat. And if they carry on not eating, well... There's no plan B for them is the point. There's no, there's no backup. There's no easy way out. Their next step is begging for food for their family. Why is that significant? I think it helps us better understand what is at stake when we are talking about the kingdom of God together, right? And Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom of God. We're talking about something that is a matter of life and death. Not just um, richer and poorer, not just more comfortable and less comfortable, not just better and worse, but it's a matter of life and death. If these workers do not get hired, they will not eat and they will ultimately die. 
Jesus says to us, there is no life outside of God's kingdom. All there is, is death in just a matter of time. It also helps us understand what the landowner is doing here. When he comes back to the marketplace later in the day, in the story, what is he doing? See, the text makes a point of telling us it was very early in the morning when he went out first. Very early. And you know how they say the early bird gets the worm. Well, he would have gotten his worm. The, the first guy to the marketplace has the best chance of hiring all the workers he wants. Gets his pick of the crop. First in the marketplace means first dibs. The, the landowner on his first trip has gotten everyone he actually wants. So when he comes back, what is he doing? Now, if you look closely at the text, you can see he's back with a different attitude. If you see in the morning, he goes out in verse 1 to hire workers for his vineyard. That's the purpose. That's the reason he was there in the first place. Well, when he's back later in the, later in the day, we don't get the same statement. Verse 3, about 9 in the morning, he's out and he sees them. He didn't go out to hire them. He's out and he happens to see them. Same at noon, same at 3. 5 p.m. again, he doesn't go out to hire. 5 p.m. it goes even further. Verse 6, he went out and he, he found them. It's almost as if he's beginning to search for them. No one's hired us, they lament. 5 p.m., no work. That's bad news, right? 5 p.m. and no work when you're a day laborer means no food that night. Why does the landowner add to his workforce through the day? Because he needs extra workers in his vineyard? No, it's because those workers need him. He doesn't call them because he needs their hands. He calls them to save their lives. The kingdom of God is a, it's a life and death thing. God comes for us and he calls us. He calls us to life. We're helpless by ourselves, right? We're unable to provide for ourselves. Think about how dependent we are on God in this. Do you think, do you think an enterprising laborer might get to three o'clock in the afternoon and think, I haven't worked today. There's not gonna be any food or money, so I think I'm just gonna rock on up to the vineyard and start cutting some vines and doing some work, and then at the end of the day, perhaps he'll pay me some money. <coughs> Has anyone ever tried this in your office? Have you ever had anyone just kind of wander in off the street and sit down at one of your desks and start typing and then look expectantly at you at the end of the day? That's not how business works, is it? <coughs> That's not how the kingdom of, work, of God works. You cannot force your way into it. You are called into it. It totally is dependent on God. So one thing, okay? God's call is a matter of life and death. It's something we desperately need, but I want to show you something more that's here. You see how in the parable they're all called to work. Have you ever wondered why that is? Here's what I mean. Now, we've, we've looked at how the laborers need money to live, right? They need money to live, a matter of life and death of them. But couldn't the landowner have secured their life simply by showing up in the marketplace with an open wallet? 
couldn't he have just shown up even with the food rather than all this faffing around with hiring people and sending them to vineyards and paying them at the end of the day? If all he wanted to do was save their lives, couldn't he have wandered down into the marketplace with a basket of bread and started handing it out? Why doesn't he just open his wallet or his store cupboard? Well, what are the options for why Jesus, um, why God in this picture would call us to work? Is it perhaps that he needs their help to get his stuff done? We shouldn't need to think that hard about that one, really. Does the God who created everything out of nothing with just a few words really need our help in getting stuff done? In fact, Let's be honest, it's far more likely the other way around, right? Doesn't it seem more likely we're going to get in the way of God getting stuff done rather than helping him with it? It's like cooking with toddlers. There should be a medal for that kind of thing. It would have been easier if we just baked the cake ourselves. But instead, because we rubbed them in, we get a level five kitchen disaster, right? We did get flour in the cake, but we got flour everywhere, everywhere else as well. Icing on top of the cake? Oh, yes, we got icing. About as much icing as cake. It's amazing if you can ever actually get anything done with them. Don't you think that must be just a little bit of what it's like for God working with us? We must just get in the way of his work so often rather than helping it. Aren't I better at messing things up than sorting them out? Aren't I better at sinking ships than steering them? So God is not calling them to work because he needs them. Why then does he call them to work and not just give them money? Perhaps it comes back a little bit to where we started today. <coughs> Perhaps it's actually because work is good. It's more than just provision for us. Something which really we'd love to discard if we could get it out of the way and just get the money anyway. Perhaps, in fact, work is fundamentally good. Perhaps it's something we are made for. More than that, perhaps it's something that is fundamental to the nature of God. Work is in our nature, like we talked about in the beginning, in our image of God, what we were created for. One particular way that work is good is that it gives us purpose. It gives our life a meaning. We're, we're about something, right? We're for something. We have a role. It gives us significance. Now, all work does do that to some extent. But let's be honest, it's pretty hard to get excited about work sometimes, isn't it? I mean, one time I used to work for a hedge fund. Boo, hiss. Um, <clears throat> I, I used to work for a hedge fund, and one of my roles there was to rebuild the data connection between our company and another company so that we could transmit orders back and forth, moving it from one standard of communication to another standard of communication. Now that was work, yes. It did provide for my family, which was very nice. But in terms of purpose and meaning, I'll be fair to say it didn't exactly make my eyes light up. In fact, it's not even clear as work that needed doing at all. And I know the truth is that a lot of our work that we do in this world can feel pretty pointless. 
can score pretty low on the purpose scale at the end of the day. It can feel pretty meaningless, but there's something we should notice about the work that the landowner calls the servants into. Something that would have been completely obvious to Jesus' first audience. <coughs> it's no accident that he sends them to work in a vineyard. Why? This uh, picture of a vineyard is used again and again and again in the Bible to talk about God's people or, or thinking back to where Jesus started the parable about God's kingdom. I don't think the vineyard in this parable is just arbitrary work, just a kind of job, if you'll forgive the expression. I think the work that's in view in this parable is a particular kind of work. It's specifically vineyard work because Jesus has kingdom work in mind here. And this, this connects really well with the idea that work is good because work gives purpose and significance uh, while your day job or your studies might not really be connecting well to a big purpose, might not really feel like it has any significant or meaning, the vineyard work does. Kingdom work does. It's work that matters, right? This is work that really matters. This is work whose consequences stretch all the way out into eternity. If you think about kingdom work, it's not like painting the fourth rail bridge, right? Where when you get to one end, it's time to start back at the other end again. It's not like washing dishes. Well, I'll just be dirty again after the next meal. It's not like laundry. It's not like mopping the floors that need doing again. This work... Kingdom work has results that last not just for a while, not even results that last for 10 or 20 or 30 years. It's not like building a house or building a bridge. Kingdom work has results that last forever. And that's why kingdom work has this eternal significance, eternal impact repercussions throughout the rest of time. So I think in this parable, we see Jesus calling people into his kingdom, but when he calls, he doesn't just offer us a denarius, right? He doesn't just offer us life, as in enough to eat, as in food for that day, able to get by. When he calls us, he's offering us life, capitals. He's offering us meaning and purpose. He's offering us a, a, a mission that's worth working on. He's offering us a project that is worth dedication, a project that's worth overtime and sacrifice, not just because of the bonus pot that's coming at the end of the day, but because the work itself is meaningful, something that he himself is also dedicated to, something that he himself shows us is actually worth your whole life. Notice in the parable how everybody is called into this kingdom work stuff. Everyone, no matter how able. I mean, you have to wonder why there are guys still in the marketplace at 5 p.m. Why are there day laborers still there at 5 p.m.? Is it, is it because they were unable to get out of bed? Possibly so. Is it because they are the least desirable, the least capable, least competent workers? Well, maybe. He calls them still. He calls everyone, no matter how long we have. This, this phrase, the 11th hour, 
comes from five o'clock. Five o'clock is described as the 11th hour in their day that runs from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. He calls people at the 11th hour into his work. There's hardly time to get to the vineyard at the 11th hour. You're not going to get a whole lot done. But you're never too old or too far gone, as you might think about it, to answer this call. Now, I guess some of you are going to be wondering, kingdom work, what on earth does that mean? That's quite an opaque phrase. It's quite a coded phrase. Well, what is it that actually needs doing in this vineyard, Jesus' parable pictures? What is, it, what is the work that we get to do in God's kingdom? What's the, the role that he's given to us in that? I think one of the best places for us to go when we're asking these questions is to look at Jesus' marching orders for his disciples as he sets off. Right at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, very familiar words to many Christians, right? He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Matthew 28, 19, we'll get there in the end if you stick with us. Um, we call this the, the, the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples. That's fundamentally what defines kingdom work. Working to see others become followers of Jesus. And in a way, this is the same kingdom mission that stretches all the way back to the garden in Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply, as it's put back there. Perhaps, perhaps this making disciples phrase, though, is just as opaque as kingdom work. What on earth does it mean to make disciples? If I was to go home today and decide, well, I really want to make some disciples this afternoon, what would I actually do? Turn on the oven? Get a frying pan? What does this really mean? I could spend a whole morning on this. Uh, a whole weekend, in fact, uh, just ask our young adults. Um, but just so we get concrete and specific, let me give you 30 seconds on my take on what making disciples actually consists of. Making disciples kingdom work is action that helps anyone move closer to following Jesus totally. Action that helps anyone move closer to following Jesus totally. So when you help someone far from God to move a little bit closer, that is kingdom work. Perhaps through something as small as a kind act or a, a kind word or, or a silent prayer, right? Perhaps through a gospel conversation, maybe. It's when you help someone who is following Christ already to follow Christ more totally. That is absolutely kingdom work. Through a nudge or a prayer or through giving them a book. There are a million ways to do it. But when you help them to follow more closely, that is kingdom work. When you go to work on your own life, when you set out about stamping out those pockets in your life that you know do not please God, do not look like Jesus, that's kingdom work. I have so much more to say about this, but not today. Um, what have we seen so far? So God's call to work. God's call is a call to life and not death, okay? The significance of this is life and death. You can't overstate it. And he gives us life. He gives us living not just by giving us the money in the marketplace, but calling us to work. And this work is good because it is work of eternal significance, this kingdom work of helping people moving closer to following Jesus totally. One more thing in the parable we have to reflect on. 
the, the, the big surprise that comes at the end of the day. Every laborer goes home with the same reward. That equality is what the early bird workers object to, right? Verse 12. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. Isn't our first impression that they're right? It's not fair. Imagine this, right? Imagine at the, the, the giant Amazon warehouse over in five. Some workers start at 6 a.m. And they work all day putting books for you in packets and shipping them to you. And at some uh, 5 p.m. start, work off one hour, and at 6, everyone watches. And everyone gets paid the same. That is not fair. It's not. So what is Jesus saying to us here? Is he saying God is not fair? The critical thing to see is that it is not fair, but not fair in a good direction. He hasn't paid the full-day workers less than he agreed or less than they were owed. He's paid the part-day workers more, radically more than they were owed. He pays the full-day workers exactly what he'd agreed. It's totally fair. What is apparently not fair is that he's been generous to the others. He's given them more than they deserve. What is Jesus showing us here? He's showing us that God is both just, right? He'll definitely do what he said. And he's gracious. He rewards us no less than we deserve. No one in the universe is getting less reward than they deserve from God. Instead, what he does is he rewards us radically more than we deserve. He's overwhelmingly gracious. This is the heart of the gospel. God's justice and his mercy meet at the cross. Justice is done. Every wrong act is punished. Nothing is overlooked. But because of the very same cross, we don't get what we deserve as a people who haven't walked in God's ways. Instead, graciously, God gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us what Jesus' perfect life deserved. Instead, he gives us everlasting life in relationship with God. He gives us purpose and meaning. It's not fair. But it is good. So wonderful. The kingdom of heaven is full of 5 p.m. starters. Full of people like you and me who are only going to find ourselves there because of God's generous mercy. So who in this parable is the 6 a.m. starter who has the right to complain? Who's the one who bore the heat of the day and actually merited the reward? Well, we know that only one person ever merited that, and that was Jesus. Except Jesus isn't indignant when he sees God exercising generosity towards us. He isn't resentful that we're enjoying the reward that his perfect life earned. Instead, he worked through the day to the very end willingly. He enjoyed the cross willingly, knowing it would open the floodgates of God's grace towards us, knowing that because of him, we would live. So we've had a close look at this parable. Like I said, I actually think it packs quite a punch in the end. But so what? What difference should this make to you and to me? What will change for us in the next week because of this?
or most important of all, to use the picture in the parable, are you still standing idle in that marketplace? Do you feel the urgency of the day drawing to a close? Do you know the time is running out, your life is slipping away? Do you feel the purposelessness, the emptiness of life? Do you see the time is running out? Well, if that's you today, then open your eyes and see that God has come to you. He's come into that marketplace to invite you, to hold out his hand to you and call you to life. He offers you hope and purpose and meaning. He offers you salvation. Open your ears. See, hear, and respond, right? There's no life in the marketplace. There's no life simply through hearing the call to go and work in the vineyard. There's only life in obedience in actually bowing the knee and going. The day is not yet over, but it soon will be. And we never know for each one of us when that will be. There is a step of obedience required. And you can do it today. It's really small and simple. has huge consequences. But the step itself, you don't need any training. There's no forms to fill out. There's no magic language to master. There's no interview for it. Um, Repent and believe, Jesus says. Turn away from how you've been living. Turn towards God. Believe that he is gracious and merciful. If you came with someone, talk to them about this. Uh, If you didn't, talk to me. I'll be at the door or talk to our team. We'll have a team down at the front here to pray with people after the service. Talk to any of them. I'd love to listen and to help and to pray with you. But do something. Do something about it. It needs a response. If you're already a follower of Jesus here today, have you ever worried about whether you are doing enough? Whether you are good enough? Whether you're going to make it in the end? Well, this parable says yes. It says worry no more. It says the amazing news is that each one of us is as thoroughly saved as the finest believer on earth, as the hardest gospel worker there is in the world. Just as thoroughly saved as the greatest and most obedient among God's people because each and every one of us is only ever saved by God's grace, His generous mercy. Our reward only ever springs from His generosity and His excess and not from our merit. But then on the other hand, you might be asking the question, well, if our reward does only depend on God's generous grace. Do I really have to be busy about this kingdom work that he's called me to? If it's not about doing enough work to merit this reward, if there's no particular level of performance required to not get fired, then can I just take it easy and wait out the day? Perhaps you are someone who has never thrown yourselves into this kingdom work been talking about it perhaps up to now the truth is you have spent your whole life minding your own business quite literally and not your master's you're confident in his paycheck at the end of the day he's going to give it to me anyway so what does it matter 
So you're not really putting our back into the work. I bet every one of us can think of times when we know we have not put our back into this work. Perhaps you're someone who has already worked a lot. Maybe you feel like you didn't start at 6 a.m., but it was 7. It's been long and hot and hard, and you're tired. Can you check out early? It's not how this picture works, is it? The work of the kingdom carries on all the way up until the end of the day. There's no early retirement. There's no retirement at all. So, um, older saints, there is work for you to do. Hard workers who've made a good start. You don't get to tap out partway through. Why throw ourselves into this? Because unlike anything else in this whole world, what God calls us into is worth it. We found something that is really worth it. We have our purpose that is ultimately worthwhile eternally significant. We have God's call into a work that is finally worth your lives. Partnering with God in bringing the dead to life. Just imagine with me for a moment what it would be like if all of us decided to do this. Imagine every person in this room decided to walk out today and say, okay, I think this is worth it. I'm going to throw myself into this as hard as I can. I'm going to give this kingdom work everything I've got. Imagine this became our number one priority for every individual in this room, the first thing on our list, rather than just a fringe, rather than just something we can fill up the gaps with and get into the slack. You know, I've got a free evening this week, I could do something, but it became the center and the heart of what we were about. Imagine what that would do to the church. Now ask yourself the question, well, why not? What possible reason is there to not make this the priority of your life? If you claim Jesus as your master, what possible reason is there not to jump into the work he has called you into. Why not here? Why not now? Why not us? Listen, because our God is calling. So let's pray.